Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. As you can tell, I'm a little bit down under the weather. So um, I ended up with a chest cold and a cough. And so I'm going to make this quick today because if I talk too long, I get a tickle and then I go into a coughing attack. And that's no fun on a podcast. So, but I have not missed a podcast on a Tuesday in almost seven years. It'll be seven years in November. And I figured I'm not about to start now. So bear with me and I'll do my best, but it's going to be a quick hit today. So one of the things that um, I get a question a lot about is what the 2021 ENM guidelines said when we are talking about the independent interpretation when we capture data points for ENM services. Well, in 2021, and this is a quote from Noridian guidelines that also came from the CPT book or AMA, it says the actual performance and or interpretation of diagnostic tests or studies during a patient encounter are not included in determining the levels of ENM services when reported separately. So if you report the test and bill, let's say an EKG, or you bill for an X-ray or anything like that, an MRI, if it's billed separately, you cannot receive credit for the order and the interpretation in the medical decision-making because again, you're getting paid for it already. So think about that. You're getting paid for it and then you're trying to um, increase your data points on the medical decision-making from category one in low to category two in moderate. And that also upcodes, which again, now you're double dipping and the patient now has an increased um, charge. So does the payer. So um, you can't do that when it comes to if you're charging for it as well. But here's a caveat that came up and I had to think about this for a second before I actually responded. And thank you to Sydney um, with Memorial Health for sending me this question. So the question was so for an x-ray that the MD orders and the MD is reading and interpreting this x-ray prior to the radiologist read. And let's say this is in an urgent care. Um, and the radiologist may read it later in the day and they bill their professional fee. But the urgent care bills the technical portion of the x-ray. And so, you know, the radiologist results says interpretation. I reviewed the x-ray images. Again, this is in the urgent care. I looked at each image available. I made the decision on the plan prior to the final read by the radiologist. It says heel spur, obvious on x-ray, no fracture. And then it talked about the interpretation from the provider and supportive measures. Um, and then they'll send the patient home with um, a spur negative for fracture and rest, etc. But here's the question. They're billing the um, technical portion. So because they are getting credit for not billing the global, but billing for the performance, which is the technical, and somebody else is billing the professional, can they include that in their uh, in their ENM capture as far as a data point? I still say no, especially because it says the actual performance. And so whether it be the global that is being billed out separately or they call it reported separately or the technical, you're still getting a value for the performance of that. And so I don't think it's appropriate to then use that um, quote unquote interpretation with the patient. It's really ca category one that you can't use either uh, as far as review 
of the results of it, each test. And so I think that upcoding to get that, even though, yes, in an urgent care, it's important to have it, it's, it's really not something you can bill for because you're already getting paid for that technical. Now, what came out on the errata with AMA and CPT when it comes to the independent interpretation? So I don't agree with this. I've mentioned it before. So on page six of CPT, it says that an ordered test is the same as giving a result because there's an anticipation you're giving the patient a result and you can't charge extra for that. But they said an independent interpretation can, can be, and they changed that this year, can be the physician who ordered the test that didn't also charge for it or um, it was from, let's like, say, an external area. So let's say that you didn't charge for the technical or the professional. You ordered an MRI from the hospital and it, you are actually getting the MRI that's coming back to the office and going over that with the patient. And let's say it was the MRI of the shoulder. You find out the patient had more than just a rotator cuff repair, it looks like. They also had ligament involved, um, possible tendon involvement, and maybe there needs to be a total shoulder surgery scheduled. And you went over all this information with the patient on how it relates to their risk of complications, their management, and the next step in what's happening. Do I think that um, is supportive of including that independent interpretation if that's well documented? And again, you're using the film, not just a report that you got from the hospital. Um, so it's actually the image. Can you use that to increase or should, I don't want to call it upcode because that just gives a really bad optic when it comes to um, services. I know um, attorneys love to use that when they go after physicians, but it really means, you know, taking your, your offices at leveling to the next level on data points. I do think you can use that because now you're looking at the specific study. You're looking at the image. It's actually very similar to what we had in the 97 guidelines of medical decision-making, looking at the tracing image or lab, or I'm sorry, or uh, path for that. So um, it's just something that you have to keep in mind. And that's probably the, the benchmark I would use is if you're looking at the results from just a paper result or something on the computer that you have access to the results from an, a test you ordered, I would not um, upcode that or I would not include that as far as an interpretation. But if you have the actual film and now you're going over it with the patient, showing them, pointing out, and going over everything with them, that actual image tracing, um, then I think that you could include that. But you want to make sure it's well documented. Otherwise, I think you're, you know, you're really stretching to get that, um, that upcode. And I, I, I keep saying, I don't want to say that, but that's really what it is um, to try and get that moderate data point instead of keeping it low. Now, another question has come up again in medical decision making for ENM, and I thought this was important to mention. And this one has to do with major surgeries. And I see doctors all the time saying, well, I'm scheduling a major surgery, so automatically that's a level five. Not so fast. So let's say the patient's coming in and they've got a chronic illness with an exacerbation. Let's say, let's just keep it with shoulders. You know, it just, it keeps hurting. They're not really sure what's going on. They did have an, an image, the CT, let's say that they were brought in and they realized that, yes, that 
rotator cuff is not going to heal itself, so we need to go ahead and have a rotator cuff repair. Well, that's a major surgery, but where is the risk factor for the patient? And we're not talking about risk of the surgery itself because there's generic risks to any surgery. We're talking about risk of complication and or morbidity and mortality of this patient. Remember, it's what is it with this patient? The 2021 and 2023 EM rules have to do with two things today and individual patient care. It's not the generic statement that I have a complex patient. It's what does that complex complexity and that risk, overall risk of that uh, patient's condition make that ENM encounter a level four or five today. Um, otherwise, it's, it's lower straightforward. And so are, it, does the patient have to have high-risk medication adjusted before they go? Is that patient diabetic where they may um, heal slowly? Is that well-documented? Um, is the patient having a, a fourth sol- shoulder surgery? It's a redo. So just the um, having the global surgery itself is not enough. You have to show that that decision regarding that elective, and elective means they have a choice to have it or not, that major surgery without identified patient or procedure risk factors for this patient, not generically, keep that in mind, um, then you don't have that, then you're really in a moderate situation. And so um, really make sure you're looking at the documentation, especially the auditors out there, because this can always be an issue. And the last thing I'm going to comment on, and I kind of decided, you know, am I going to really comment on this because it conflicts with a respected site that's out there. And I'm actually going to talk about this with Sean Weiss on uh, Terry Tuesday. And so you might also hear this on our hashtag Terry Tuesday today on the same date. And that is Splitter Shared Visits, one of the sites that out there, I'm not going to name it because I'm sure you'll find it. There's an attorney that uh, did an article and I actually complained about it because it's inferring that Splitter Shared Visits can be done in the office setting. Medicare says no, it can't. It even says it in their last transmittal, 30.6 point, I think it's 01, it says you cannot do that. I think it's point ten actually. It says you cannot do in the office or nursing um, facility visits. And the article basically alluded to the fact that, well, just don't call it that, or technically this, don't do that. Anytime somebody says to you, well, technically, right there, that should make your your hair stand up on the back of your neck, because that means that somebody's going to have to defend you, and it's going to cost you money, and you're now opening yourself up to invited risk. Why would you do that? So I, you know, whenever somebody says, well, honestly, or technically, well, for me, I'm like, well, are you dishonest? Why would you say honestly? Don't you usually give me honest information? Or technically, that reminds me of, you know, the legal shows I watch. Well, they're getting off on a technicality. That's exactly what it sounds like. You want to be the practice, the coder, the biller, the compliance person, the auditor that not only uses common sense, but follows the local coverage policies and decisions, the national coverage policies and decisions, and is compliant with best practices. What will keep your practice safe and above scrutiny? Okay, what will, you know, you be able to, if somebody does want to look, if there is a, you know, a, a an audit, a TPE audit, or you pick audit or a CERT audit from Medicare, or even a third party payer, they say, we want to take a look, say, you bet, we have an open book here. And I mean, I'm proud to say that, you know, of my hundreds of clients that I have, 
I've only had one in 31 years fail an audit and it was because they were doing something that I didn't know about. And when we went and looked, I'm like, why are you doing that? Oh my gosh. And they said, oh, well, we didn't think we had to ask you or, or run it by you. We just thought it was fine. I'm like, no, 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 can't do that. And so, you know, I make sure, otherwise you can't be a client of mine, that everyone is above reproach, that everyone's compliant, they're doing what they're supposed to do, and that they're not trying to technically get around any kind of Medicare policy. And so that that's just me. I, there's, if there's one thing you know about me or anything with my reputation, I'm not a defense attorney, so I'm not out there trying to drum up business for that, and I would hate to have to refer you to one. Um, because when you try to get around the Medicare rules or you try to interpret them and twist them and, you know, pretzel them into fitting what you want them to say, you're going to have trouble. And it, it's definitely going to be a problem. And also, it's just a bad optic and your patients don't like it. Um, I was recently talking to a malpractice attorney and she was interesting. Um, nice, nice person listens to the podcast. So shout out to her. But I, I had to say I was a little taken back because um, in her world, um, you know, in space that she's looking at, she's got these valid, potentially valid uh, malpractice suits. But now she's got to find other places where the physicians can be called out for being shady. And, you know, if you technically try to do something or if you your fees are 500 percent of Medicare or if you're doing something that's not necessarily illegal, but it just looks bad, then that plays terrible in front of a jury. And now now look what you've done. Even though you may not have done anything technically illegal, but now the optic of what you're doing is now playing out that maybe you're suspect, maybe you do try to do other things. And I was just like, wow, even if it's not there, it just, it gives an impression and you can only give a first impression once and you can't unring a bell as you know. So Anyway, that's my kind of my talk for today. And hopefully it was helpful just giving you kind of two points of what we're looking at in medical decision making, understanding the part when you do have a major surgery, how that plays in on one aspect or element of medical decision making, and then also the data points. I'm going to bring some of these points throughout um, my podcasts each week. And even though we'll have different topics, I feel like we still have some work to do on the ENM services 2023 and understanding them because a lot of times I'm still getting some people saying, well, can't we do this? No, no, no. Um, and there's other things where I'm like, well, why aren't you doing this? And I'm like, oh, I didn't know I could. So anyway, that's something that I, I just want to always keep fresh, always keep in the front. And, you know, we're going to get some more updates in 2025 when they do away with phone call codes and they add in 17 new telehealth codes. And so just be ready for that. It seems like every other year we're going to get some things going on there. So I wanted to use my coding question today in cardiology on the HeartCast. This was somebody who purchased my cardiology coding resource book. I have an ebook online that you can purchase. And she had asked, how come you're using 93460 for the right and left heart cath and not 93453? And so I was looking at that and I said, wait a minute, 93453, yes, is right and left heart cath with with or without uh, left ventriculography, but it doesn't include coronary injections. I don't think I've used that more than twice in the last 10 years. And 93460 
is the is the combination of the right heart cath 93451 and 93458 so it is right and left heart cath plus coronary injections and if you perform a left ventriculography or left ventricle injection and so the person was very surprised they're like uh-oh so it looks like they were billing the wrong uh, code in the heart cath section make sure you read every single bit of language and the defined information underneath each code and highlight it if you can because it can be confusing and you might miss it and so some things sound similar but there's just this one little nuance that can be an issue so make sure you are reading that before you um, hit the trigger and code for it because if you had to get prior authorization you'd be out of luck well that's it for me today folks thanks for listening and hopefully i'll be back in regular voice next week so make it a great day a great rest of your week and thank you for listening to the codecast podcast for more information on medical coding billing auditing and compliance including how to hire terry follow terry on twitter at terrycoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>